Welcome to episode 29 of the Princeton Podcast with Mayor Mark Frieda. In this episode, Mark caught up with Dr. Ailey Cohen, integrative rheumatologist, author, speaker, community educator, podcaster, and founder of The Smart Human, an organization designed to inform the public about environmental health concerns and practical solutions to help minimize chemical exposures. Ailey discussed her educational background, as well as her collaboration with Princeton school teachers to help their teenage students learn more about the wide variety of unregulated chemicals found in the many personal hygiene products they use, an experience that helped inspire Ailey to found the Smart Human organization. Mark and Ailey also discussed the book she co-authored with Frederick von Saal, entitled Non-Toxic, Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World, that examines how to reduce our chemical and radiation exposures by recognizing potential threats and paying attention to what we eat, breathe, and put onto our skin. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mark Frieda, and his guest, Dr. Ailey Cohen, for episode 29 of the Princeton Podcast. Ailey, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So before we start talking about a smart human and other efforts you're involved in, I would like to set the stage a little bit for our listeners as to why they should listen to you. Uh, So my first question is, can you outline some of your educational background for us? Because I just think it's important for people as we get into more topics to understand why you're so good at what you do. Well, I appreciate that. And when you said why people should listen to you, I directly thought of my children and I thought they don't listen to me. So maybe you could talk to them after this. Um, you know, I I would like to begin by saying I started off in my career as, I mean, a young person wanting to be a physician, even in second grade, I have some reports on the heart and all sorts of crazy stuff. My dad's a doctor. Um, and I kind of went through the whole medical um you know, training and your typical, you know, 30-year process to get to be a doctor. And it turned out that it just wasn't enough as a Western internist and rheumatologist. It was fascinating and interesting, but it was lacking in certain areas that I missed in med school, which was nutrition training and how, you know, environment affects health. And I ended ended up taking some extra um, training with Dr. Andrew Weil at the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine, which is now the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, which is a two-year fellowship. Um, in integrative medicine, science-based, evidence-based, board certification is required to be an integrative medicine physician, in case people don't know that. And then that also took on a life of its own when I got into environmental chemicals. So all of this layering on of education and education and education brought me to where I am now. And I, um, and I really feel that this is sort of the best time in my life to be able to speak and, and to talk about science and you know, environmental health. So, um, yeah, it was an unconventional journey towards this, this last part of it, but I'm um, certainly loved all, all of what I've learned so far. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting journey from what I've, you had sent me some information ahead of time, but I, you know, I read up on you as people can. Uh, but anyway, I think you, you have a very interesting career and in, in a life, but could you share with us some of the different organizations you are, or you have worked with during this journey? So um, early in my career, I guess in the integrative medicine portion where I was learning a lot of environmental health in the program, which was a two-year program, I actually got uh, stumbled into environmental health through um, a story about my dog getting sick. And he was a four and a half year old golden retriever. He was beautiful and he got sick. And I just thought he had swallowed a sock or something else that goldens often do. And it turned out at four and a half that he had autoimmune hepatitis um, and he had really no liver left. Um, 
So as an autoimmune disease specialist, of course, as a rheumatologist, I was really quite heartbroken and stunned. But I learned about his environment and trying to figure out how his immune system turned on him, his water, his air quality, his dog food, his rubber toys that he used to chew on constantly. And I I really think that that um, laid the groundwork for kind of getting into the environmental health aspect. Um, And so that's kind of laid out a lot of what I've done. Now, in the beginning of that learning process, um, I reached out to Environmental Working Group, if people know what that is, the, the EWG.org, very well known um, as a reputable, um, uh, you know, consumer-driven uh, advocacy group for environmental health. So their stuff is very vetted in terms of their information, their rating systems for skin products and cosmetics and cleaning products. They have a great um, trove of rated material for toxicity. And early on, I was, that was my only resource, trying to figure out what might have affected my dog. And so as I reached out to them and sent them my slides and said, I'm doing some local you know, talks, I'm very interested in this, could you just make sure my slides are correct? That took on a whole life of its own because they had never had a doctor at that time about 10 years ago reach out to say, you know, getting involved in environmental health and endocrine disruption and all the effects of health of of certain chemicals. So I ended up doing a lot of CME, which is continuing medical education for two years around the country. So I worked with them on that project. Um, they educated me. And then I also ended up meeting Fran Drescher out West um, at a lunch at a rent at restaurant with my kids and my husband. And I had, I had seen her years before in Beth Israel hospital when she was getting treated for um, uterine cancer. So I walked over of course I was nervous and I started talking to her and, you know, told her what I was up to and talked really, she was lovely. And since then, we've had a relationship where, you know, I work um, with her on many projects and I've been on her health summit and I'm on her medical advisory board now. So a lot of chance in issues and, you know, encounters um, that really brought me to working with some phenomenal nonprofit groups like EWG, um, Cancer Schmancer is her program, which is a cancer prevention and advocacy group. Um, and there's several others, but you know, I, I tend to choose very vetted groups. I, I really want to work with people who are based in science, who um, you know really do great educational work, and that's that's kind of how I've ended up doing the projects I'm doing. Great. Um, I believe you also have a TED talk, and and you also rec, uh, lecture on a regular basis. So could you tell us a little bit more about? All that? Yeah, the TED Talk was really, um, I, I want to say, fun towards the end. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, I you know, worked hard to, to get involved with the TED Talk, and I actually got rejected from one program, and I learned from it, and I learned how to reshape my messaging and, and, and re, rewrite the, the words, and um, I tried out for another. And it's basically a combination of you know, being pulled in and also putting yourself out there. And it took about six months to a year to put that together. And it turns out to be like a 14 minute, I think mine's 13 minutes and then maybe a half um, stand up, you know, memorized, um, you know, speech of sorts, um, entertaining, of course. And my talk was actually called um, How to Keep Your Kids um, Safe from Toxic Chemicals. And, um, you know, the punchline, I hope people will watch it on YouTube. You just type in my name and, and on YouTube, um, base, or how to protect your kids from toxic chemicals, I think it is. Um, you know, it's, it's meant to educate people to be aware. It's not meant to um, judge. It's not meant to lecture technically. It's meant to show people the story of my dog, 
how we really do bathe ourselves in, in products that are not tested for any safety or toxicity um, by any manufacturers. And people find that very hard to believe like I did. It took about seven to eight years to really believe that, know that, and, and talk to the researchers that know that and, and write papers on that internationally. So, you know, now that I know that that's true, I feel very compelled to tell people not only what they should know, but also how to fix the problem. So a lot of what I do is empowerment. I taught, uh, I teach high school uh, classes. I'll, you know, get involved with curriculum um, at different programs, different colleges and high schools. Um, and I actually write, I wrote 40 some hours for physician colleagues. So it's reframing a lot of the same environmental health material into age appropriate nuggets and, and curriculum. Um, what was interesting about the TED talk, which is pertinent to Princeton is that back in the day, if people know Cherry Sprague or Sprague, I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly. I reached out to her and I said, can I do a pilot project? This is about 2014. Um, and she, and I explained to her, I wanted to, you know, see how much information the kids knew in environmental health, whether it's, you know, soccer turf risk or drinking water or, or even their personal care products. Of course, they use tons of them. And I said, could I please come in and create a program where, you know, I do a bunch of lectures and test pre and post. Um, and that went so well. She said, oh, come on in. And I was just so appreciative. I think I worked with, um, you know, a couple of the teachers that were particularly interested and had access to a bunch of different classes and age groups and did these pre and post tests. And the basis of those um, answers became the TED Talk, you know, so I hope people will listen to that. Um, but essentially, I had really open arms from her. And she's since retired. I ended up doing another uh, pilot project with them in 2016 as well to retest my, my theory that kids want this information. And certainly it, it came out you know, you know, um, I was convinced of that and the data showed that. So, you know, now my mission has really been, as the TED talk will say, is to really educate people, but particularly young people, um, teenagers, especially because they are so, uh, they use the most, uh, personal care products of any demographic, um, daily. So they use on average about 17 products versus adults, uh, women who use about 12 and men use six daily. Um, and so they also use chemicals on their skin that have endocrine um, effects. So hormone effects and who has the greatest, you know, uh, ups and downs of hormone swings. I can attest to that with my kids, um, is teenagers. So you have this group of kids that use the most products that could be potentially affected the most by the chemicals they use on in and around their bodies. And so that's the age group where you can get into their heads before, you know, they may want to have a family one day where these chemicals may have an effect uh, in fertility or in, even in cognitive affective fetuses. So the idea was really to get this young, interested, tech-savvy, um, highly hormonal group of people to listen. And it's, it's been very fruitful. Amazing. So there's two topics I want to make sure we spend some time on today. One is the book you co-authored, Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World and your smart human effort. So can we talk a little bit about the book first? Yeah, sure. So, so that book is my, I want to say I gave birth to several pets and uh, to human children, but I would say that this book is one of my offspring. Um, it is a, a work that took about, I would say, eight to 10 years because it was me culminating my process of cleaning up my environment, my drinking water and its quality, my air quality, and you know, getting rid of all these plugins and candles that are synthetic and all sorts of chemicals that affect my air quality. 
Um, it, uh, you know, was a process learning how food uh, labels work um, and which food additives are harmful or not and what's the regulatory failures in that area. Um, so it was, you know, soccer turf and sports turf, how we need to know more about um, these synthetic sports turfs and how they are being linked to a whole host of health issues, but how to manage them responsibly. I have kids that love sports, you know, that are on those fields. So, you know, I looked at that as a journey. Um, and so it took about seven to eight years, more or less, to build up not just what the problem is in my brain and understand the science and convey that appropriately, um, but also to understand all of the things that we can do to reduce exposures and reduce body burden of these harmful chemicals and what that means in terms of lowering risk for human health diseases. And um, so it was, it was quite a journey. I, I reached out to a scholar who I had read all of his medical journal articles on bisphenol A, BPA, uh, Dr. Frederick Bomsal. And I cold called him and I said, I have this book deal. I work with Andrew Weil, who gave me this book deal to partner with a researcher. He wouldn't let me do it alone. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> uh, as a clinician. And I said, would you, you're my eighth call. Would you be interested? He said, email me over the outline which I did, and he was on board immediately. And here's a really hardcore bench researcher who believes in this work and this information. And so we've partnered for a textbook, Integrative Environmental Medicine, which is part of the Andrew Weil academic series with Oxford University Press. And then we did this consumer book, um, which uh, was remarkable because it's a combination of a bench researcher, a grandfather, a world-renowned BPA and endocrine disruptor uh, researcher, and myself, who's an autoimmune uh, an environmental health uh, clinician who sees patients regularly. So it was just a beautiful combo. And um, he's one of my favorite people in the world and my mentor. So hats off to Fred Von Saul. Um, so that's the book. And it's done incredibly well, having had not much PR behind it. Um, it sold quite well and had um, even, I think it's on its fourth printing. Um, but it's a guidebook. And it was meant, we fought very hard for the word guidebook. Um, and it was meant to really get people to handhold them through all of these, you know, topics, drinking water and air quality and home furnishings and EMF, you know, radiation and tech toys, you know, the whole chapter on that medications. I have a whole chapter on, um, not that I'm against medications, but I'm, you know, want people to be thoughtful and judicious about, you know, the use of medications. And here are some of the more common ones and what they have potential risk for so that you can really discuss that with your physician. So it's really filled with lots of practical, good, you know, information that anyone could pick up. Any high schooler all the way through grad school could really pick up and, and really just, you know, put into play lots of great practices. Um, the Smart Human came out of frustration. That's my social media platform. So I meant to um, make sure it was open to every human being. The Smart Human is anthropology-based name because I love anthropology. Um, and really it's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I have my own podcast, the smart human, where I interview really remarkable people in environmental health and, you know, environmental lawyers and, you know, legislators and physicians. And so it's kind of like my, um, my treat to be able to reach out to people and, and get their voices heard, which, you know, often they're not if they're in research, especially. So that's how this all started. It was frustration and interest. And, um, it's taken me to some really interesting places. 
Yeah, it's quite quite a journey, and I guess you never sleep or eat because you're just you know you just crank it out so much. You know, I do sleep because my integrative medicine training tells me that my immune system will be much more robust, and in fact, um, we we don't have much of a social life, my husband and I, because we really do go to bed at nine and get up at like five or five thirty. So, you know, we've had to curtail some of the fun stuff of youth, but um, you know, we can always you know take these meals and and see people socially earlier, but. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's been a really a nice journey. My husband's involved. He's a physician also. So he does a lot of this work as well. So it's been a real nice journey to be able to do that with him as well. That's a big advantage, having you both interested in similar things and yeah. helping each other, supporting yeah. each other. Same language. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That and getting actually enough sleep most nights. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty amazing. That helps. You're, you're ahead of almost all of us now. So, uh, Ailey, I mean, we've covered a lot about you professionally, but let's just talk about you, the person, a little bit, if, if we can. Where did you grow up? So, I am a Princeton person. I, um, I grew up in Washington's Crossing in Yardley. Um, we were some of the earlier kids that were sort of bussed in, you know, because it's quite a commute. Um, but, um, but it was a really um, important um, aspect of my my parents, they are, my dad's a doctor, my mom's a, an educator, PhD in education, and they really just wanted me to be at, um, you know, really good schools. So they traveled and, and I went to PDS actually, um, most of my, I guess all of my young life, I was a lifer. Um, and, um, and I just really support the school. I, I think Princeton is a remarkable place. Um, the more I've left to train or the left to travel, the more I think of how lucky I am to be part of this community. Um, the schools are great. The people are great. Um, you know, I just think that it's just such a, a nice uh, combination of of, of philosophies and cultures and religions really living well together. So, you know, I, I probably took it for granted growing up in this area, but now I, I, I'm very clear on the fact that it's a wonderful place to live and work. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A, a lot of people that either grew up here or spent a fair amount of time here, they go away, they come back. And it's, it's a common theme. That a lot of them say is I didn't realize how special Princeton is with the diversity of there's just so much diversity here. And if you I guess we do take it for granted, but you go other places and you say, oh, okay, wait a minute. Well, right. most of my high school friends, a lot of them have come back to this area, um, raising their kids in the schools in the Princeton area. I mean, it's just really nice. Yeah. And are you still in the general Princeton area? Yeah, we're in the suburbs of Princeton and we, we just love being able to kind of like go 10 minutes into town to have dinner and, um, you know, utilize all the great new restaurants, which we didn't really have growing up. I thought there was a very limited, we had Chuck's, you know, right. like everyone knew Chuck's <laughs> and, you know, the Menendez's and all those crazy stories. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't have much offerings and I think that's really exploded in the last, you know, 15, 20 years since I've been in the area. Yeah. No, there's a lot of restaurants. There's a lot of good reasons. Plug for Princeton. There's a lot of good reasons for everyone listening to come into Princeton every day. So uh, anyway, but your office, I mean, you do, is your office in Princeton? Yeah. My practice is in Princeton. I used to be, you know, sort of South towards Freehold where I was on staff. I I actually still am on staff down there. Um, But I really wanted to be close to my kids who go to school in Princeton. And, um, you know, made that conscious choice to be close to them because one of us had to be, you know, because my husband, he's got his stuff. Um, but Princeton is a unique environment. Um, someone told me that it has a certain cachet for understanding health and wellness. That's probably true, um, you know, from a knowledge base or maybe at a socioeconomic level. But it's it's remarkable that there's been nothing but open arms to the philosophy that I follow, which is you know, really to do the best medicine, but incorporating um, as much as available in, in, you know, ancient medicine, 
you know, Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine all the way through to um, herbal medicines, um, understanding how medicines work and to use them not so reflexively and see what the alternatives are um, in terms of nutrition and diet and exercise and stress management and all of the things that give human beings anthropologically helps them thrive. So um, that has been embraced. But as a, obviously an autoimmune disease doctor and, a, you know, rheumatologist, I use all the medications that are available when needed. And they're, they're wonderful. Many of them have, if not all of them, do some really remarkable work when it comes to some serious diseases. It doesn't mean they always have to be used. It doesn't mean they always have to be used in those doses. It doesn't mean they can't improve with other things added on integratively. So I just think that that's been embraced in the Princeton area more than it was when I was practicing maybe even 20 minutes south, believe it or not. Right. Yeah. Balance, moderation. Mm-hmm. In so many areas in life, it just makes sense. So- you know, you're involved in so much. And I know, you, you know, you just said you have an office, you have a practice, but I, you, you do find time to see patients. I, I just don't understand how you're able oh, to yeah, do that. Oh, yeah. No, I, you know, I'm very organized. <laughs> I, I'm probably the most organized human being you'll ever meet. And I think that's more out of um, survival mechanism um, because managing kids and all their stuff and spouse and I have two pets at home and, you know, a household and a practice that I really run myself um, and then doing all this extra work. But what I've really tried to do is keep my practice at a level where it doesn't run me. And that goes into the whole training of, of work and life and stress. You know, is it worth extra money to work harder, to work more days? Or is it something I can give up a bag or a trip or, a, you know, to really make sure that my, my quality of life is good and that I'm actually there for my kids now that, you know, they're, these are the formative years. So I do see patients um, and I see them, you know, two to three days a week, very heavy days, but I have these other days to sort of, you know, support those patients and their labs and their doctors. And then also to do all these other projects that, you know, really bring me a lot of joy because they're so creative in, in their, you know, production, so to speak. Amazing. So looking at all you've accomplished, I mean, what has driven you to achieve all that you have achieved? I mean, the list is- Low self-esteem? I don't know. I I mean, are we always trying to figure out who we're trying to please? I mean, my parents are older, but they still get a kick out of everything I'm doing. I just realized that I'm not so much doing it for them anymore. Um, Although I love that they're around and they're proud of what I'm doing. Um, You know, I- I try to teach this to my kids that you have to love what you do. You have to feel good about your grade. You're not getting good grades for us, although right now my 13-year-old might argue that's the case. But, you know, ultimately in life, you have to, and I say this to them, look in the mirror at the end of the day and be happy with who you are and what you accomplished that day and can't cut corners. And these were a lot of the tenets that my parents taught me. My dad, especially, I would say he's 83 and still practicing nephrology. In fact, today's, you know, Friday, he's probably at his dialysis unit that I stopped by. I mean, I think that that's the kind of integrity that we all strive to either have or at least, you know, identify and be part of if we can get a piece of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when you love what you do, it's not work, right? You know that. But I think you have to carve out that joy. You have to carve out anything you need um, that fills your soul. You have to make sure it happens for you because otherwise you lose yourself. And I've tried very hard not to lose that. That's a great philosophy. It's a great way to look at things because I think so many people do, you know, oh, I got this great career. Okay, is it really all that great? You know, I'm I'm commuting or I'm making lots of money or I'm doing this, but are you satisfied? Are you happy? Are you doing what you really want to do? And if you can find pocketbooks that are knockoffs that are really good looking, you know, then you don't have to spend for the real ones. And there you go. You have a whole nother day to play with. So, you know, it's all a matter of perception. I think when you get older, things change. You start to, and I'm not that old, but 
You know, I really do believe that having simple pleasures in life is a really good way to yeah. judge, you know, in terms of, you know, what you strive for. I think it's just, it's, it's worked for me. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a good advice. So can you share uh, how our listeners can find out more of the, uh, the advice you offer? Or, I mean, Sure. I mean, the Smart Human platform has expanded. Um, Facebook has, I think, 51,000 followers on it now. Legitimate. I don't buy any followers. That's another <laughs> shtick that people do. Um, but I, I do believe that that is a, a really wonderful place. If you do have Facebook to follow, it's called The Smart Human. It has to have the and then space, then smart, then human. Um, that has been really solid um, in terms of what I post Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Friday is a lot of mental health. A lot of humor, a lot of great sayings, a lot of great um, information. You know, Monday and Wednesday tend to be more biologic and nutrition and physiologic and sustainability and how the environment plays a key role in human health as well. Um, so Facebook's great. TikTok, I just got on board, right? You're no one unless you're on TikTok. So <laughs> I, you know, I'm starting to really do, um, you know, some great clips that are really um, high yield and to the point on TikTok. And I think it's gaining a lot of traction. Instagram, of course, um, the Smart Human Podcast, as I mentioned earlier, has really remarkable guests that I never thought I'd have the opportunity to interview. I mean, just really like Fran Drescher was on my guest, um, Art Kaplan, who's a world-renowned bioethicist. Um, I just had Robert Lustig, uh, who is an endocrinologist, uh, well, very well, well known out of uh, UC California. And he's um, really brilliant about sugar and, and metabolism. And so I'm starting to pick up some really, um, you know, I have amazing people, but just people that might have been um, more well-known, I guess. And so that's a wonderful place for people to get extra information on any number of topics. My next question was more about the social media, but you just kind of covered, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, look, as much as I preach about reducing anxiety and stress and staying off social media, the fact is, if you're going to educate people, you have to meet them where they're at and that's social media. And hopefully people just have a healthy and responsible way of using it. But that's, I would love to be part of people's, you know, regimen so that they could feel that they're getting real useful information. Right. And then I just want to jump back. So the TED Talk, uh, which is on YouTube, I think yes, you said. Yes. So people could find links to that through your different social media. Yes. Too. YouTube actually has uh, the Smart Human channel, and which has lots of other videos and podcasts that I've done, but also um, the TED Talk is there. But um, yeah, how to protect your kids from uh, toxic chemicals is the name of it, but you can simply just go to YouTube and type in Ailey Cohen and it should pop up right at the top. And you said the book's in the fourth printing, so obviously still available. So people- Still available. And I just got another book deal as of yesterday. So um, that's going to connect my my goal with that book. Um, I'm very excited about is connecting not just environmental chemicals um, and human health with, um, env excuse me, environmental health uh, chemicals with immune system disorders and autoimmunity, which is really going to tie in my rheumatology training. Um, the previous book had a, a lot of information about the endocrine system and hormones, because that's really where the basis of the, of the data has been thus far. We now have so much information about how autoimmune diseases, like my dog's autoimmune disease and my patients and all of the number, you know, MS and Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. So I'm going to be really talking and focusing in on the immune system with environment. So that'll be coming out hopefully within the next year and a half. That's great. And I just want to mention the name of the book again, so people could easily uh, remember it, hopefully, and, and get it. Non, uh, Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. So I don't want people to forget that. Um, 
So do you have other upcoming initiatives, talks, or other things you want to tell us about? Oh, God. Well, how do, you top, to how do you top talking to the mayor of Princeton? I mean, <laughs> I think it's all downhill from here. But um, yeah, no, I, you know, I have a conversation I had with Dr. Andrew Weil on his podcast. Um, I think it's Body of Wonder. Um, and so I'm starting to pick up, and that's on you know YouTube and all that stuff, but I'm starting to pick up really great venues where there's a lot more visibility. Um, nothing specific, but just podcasts whenever. And, and it's interesting. I get a lot of um, requests today. I have uh, Instagram Live with two young college students at Elon University who just reached out to me. And so I'll pretty much say yes to anyone young who wants me to do anything <laughs> because to me, they are the least... Um, toxic and the most appreciative of everything that I'm doing. And so I certainly, um, you know, I'm happy to do school, you know, lectures and, you know, I've been doing some talks in the Princeton area at some of the local schools. So I encourage people and teachers and administrators to reach out if they would like to, to hear more information about these topics. Which is great. It's also great to hear that, you know, younger people are actually eager to listen. Is I, I mean, I, you know, looking around. I, th I think, you know, people want to learn. People want to know what's it's really healthy. It's me great hope. I'll be honest with you. When I did those pilot projects, I really didn't know what I was going to get. The whole point of why I started to consider it was because my, my babysitter at the time said, hey, is my shampoo toxic? Because she had just seen, you know, some of the work I was looking at. And I thought, oh my God, doctors aren't even asking me that at these meetings and these lectures. Why, why am I not listening to young people who really do want to hear about what they put on in and around their body. So, um, you know, I'm very hopeful, um, you know, working with young people. I think a lot of people say this, it gives them hope because they're so inquisitive and so smart and so capable. And I think um, I'm just trying to help them be capable in preventing health issues and disease and to have really healthy lives. So um, I've been really happy about it. Yeah, you should be. That's a great, that's a great goal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. We appreciate your time. Um, and uh, I also just want to make sure I mention a thank you to Princeton Podcast, which puts on our podcast. And our great producer, I can't remember his name, though. <laughs> thank you for joining us for the 29th episode of the Princeton Podcast, produced by the podcast production team at HG Media providing audio, video, and website design services here in Princeton since 1999. If you enjoyed this episode of the Princeton Podcast, please share it with your friends. Visit our website at princetonpodcast.com and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.